it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Is your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, healthcare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to geneseehealthplan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we're going to kick it right off. It's Wednesday, which means Armchair Politics is coming up at, uh, well, during the second and third hour of uh, today's show with commentary and analysis about local, state, national uh, news and current events, plus some quotes and uh, my favorite part, the X-Files. But uh, first, it seems like an awful lot has happened since Election Day, and then at the same time, not very much at all. And we're going to talk about uh, some of the fallout from the election, but more importantly, the... um, one of the things that did happen was the uh, confirmation of uh, newly appointed uh, Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. And uh, as we do with uh, most things having to do with SCOTUS or the Supreme Court of the United States, we turn to a uh, constitutional law professor from Western Michigan Cooley Law in uh, I think it's in Tampa. I, I forget sometimes. But uh, yeah, yeah. joining me by phone, Brendan Beery. Brendan, welcome. Good morning. How you doing? I, I'm doing okay. I'm uh, a little sleep deprived the last uh, couple of <laughs> weeks, but uh, aside from that, I, I'm doing great. And uh, kind of a big surprise out of the Supreme Court yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we I remember you and I talking about this, and and maybe it wasn't so very long ago that um, the Supreme Court was scheduled to hear, you know, to begin hearing oral arguments on a case involving the Affordable Care Act or, quote, Obamacare. And, you know, all the the alarmists were saying, oh, no, it's, you know, the, the Supreme Court is a six to three conservative majority. They're going to throw out the Affordable Care Act. They're going to knock 20 million people off their health care. And, uh, and, and and what we heard out of the Supreme Court was a little different and very surprising from Brett mm-hmm. Kavanaugh. Yes, from Brett Kavanaugh uh, and John Roberts. Well, uh, we heard from John Roberts, but he's sort of taken that tone before. Mm-hmm. Right. But we, this, but we still don't know Kavanaugh yet. Right, right. 
This was a little more uh, direct, though. Um, uh, the Chief Justice Roberts, um, you can, you can, you know, like with all of them, you know, you can often tell sort of where they're leaning by the questions they ask. But he actually made he 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 wasn't asking a question. He actually made a statement. Right? Uh, you know, and that's very unusual for him. And he, you know what's said, funny uh, about that is. I don't ever remember, and and you know maybe if you if you follow it very closely, you've heard things, but I don't ever remember hearing a chief justice or any justice um, commenting on a case that was before the court, right? As as publicly as this was yesterday, right? It was almost as though um, he. You know, and, I, and I'm sure, you know, he's a vote counter. He knows where the court is on this. Uh, it was almost as though he was just trying to send a message uh, to people uh, yesterday. And, and, you know, again, for him, how many times have you and I talked about this, right? He's an institutionalist. He's very, very, very careful uh, with his words. Um, so no, it's, it was not an accident, you know, that he, he, he basically just, just came out and blurted it out. Well, you know, uh, he says, if we get rid of your individual mandate, that doesn't mean uh, we have to get rid of the whole law, and uh, and and then he said, you know, kind of pretty remarkable. He said, "I think Congress wanted us to do their job for them, and that's not our job. They they didn't repeal it. They had a chance to repeal the whole thing, and they didn't repeal the whole thing." Yeah, he, uh, he they, was. They thought we would do it. He was talking specifically about this particular case, but I think he was sending a larger message: "We're not going to do your job for you, not just to Congress, right. but to the White House." Right. Exactly. I, 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 that came through loud and clear. And, uh, um, and then, as you say, uh, Justice Kavanaugh, you know, was, was right there uh, as well. Um, basically, the, the issue here was, sep you know, it's, it sounds fancy, but it's not, <laughs> it's not as fancy as, as it sounds. The issue is what, what's called sever severability. Um, and so the individual mandate is just part of the Affordable Care Act, and it's the part that was controversial. It seems like everybody likes the rest of it, right? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, protection for pre-existing conditions. You can stay on your parents' plan until you're 26. No more lifetime caps. You know, all, all that stuff. People uh, like all that stuff. Um, but the individual mandate was was the requirement that you have life insurance or you pay a tax penalty. Uh, and uh, that's been sort of zeroed out, uh, you know, when Republicans were in, in control of both houses of Congress and the White House, they reduced the tax penalty to zero, but they didn't touch the rest of the law. Um, and now they're saying that uh, because uh, the, uh, the tax uh, penalty has been zeroed out, the individual mandate is no longer valid, and that destroys the entire Affordable Care Act, right? Uh, the whole thing has to go. Um, so the court is, is, is taking up the issue if we strike that, if we say that one part of the law is invalid, and that sounds like they're probably going to say the individual mandate is out, right? It's it's invalid. But the, and this comes up in a lot of different cases. If you if you take out one piece of the law, does that mean that the whole thing gets struck down? Um, and uh, Kavanaugh was making the point uh, that we we typically the you know the court typically will only strike down an entire law if the piece that's a problem, right? If the entire law depends on that. To survive, right? If that's the way, uh, the way Justice Alito actually put it was, it's the, it's a part of an airplane that you need to keep flying, right? If, if you if you remove that right. part, the plane crashes. Um, and so even even Alito, uh, right? The, the, it sounded like he was leaning in the direction of saying, you know, now we know 
because the 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 uh, the individual mandate tax penalty has been zeroed out for years now, and the law still works. Um, the you know the the parts that people like um, still still have an effect. So um, so Kavanaugh, Alito, uh, Roberts seem to be heading in that direction, and then. Who but Justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett uh, chimed in as well, um, and and she made a she made a point that actually I had been thinking about, and I thought it was a very a very good point. She said, you know, you reduced the, ta- the Congress reduced the tax penalty to zero, but they didn't repeal the uh, individual mandate. Um, and she said, so so doesn't that make a difference? I mean, if you if you reduce the penalty to zero, you know, some other Congress can just bump it back up to whatever, $500, $600. Um, it's still there. Um, you didn't repeal it. Uh, so it, it, even she seemed to be getting in on this. You know, what, do your own job. <laughs> uh, don't, you know, don't come to the Supreme Court asking us to get rid of a law that, that, that you politicians, uh, you know, you had a chance to get rid of it and you didn't. You know, but the case that was made for uh, politically anyway for the uh, for the mandate was that it was the funding mechanism right for the whole package right. you know if you couldn't get young people who feel invincible to mm-hmm. carry insurance you couldn't make insurance affordable for everybody right Right. And, and and that's and that's that was the rationale behind having the mandate, and and I've wondered if Republicans weren't kind of hoping by pulling the mandate out or or zeroing out the penalties so that <clears throat> it wouldn't have any teeth that uh, that somehow the Affordable Care Act would collapse for lack of funding. Right, right. I think that was the plan. And it's it's funny because we've we've learned. I mean, I I, I agree. I, the assumption when the, uh, when the ACA was passed, and the first time it was in front of the Supreme Court, um, the assumption was that without the individual mandate, the entire thing comes apart. Um, yeah, the the whole scheme collapses. Uh, but it just hasn't happened. And and the reason is um, people. <laughs> it turns out you don't have to force people um, to get health insurance if they if it's you know within a certain range of affordability people are going to go on the exchange and get health care um it certainly would be better if everybody had it you know because the the whole idea of insurance of course is shared risk um and uh if 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 all the only people you have in the pool are high risk obviously then costs start to go up uh but uh nonetheless i mean the the system you know has continued to uh survive you know the aca is um, I'm sure I, I know plenty of people, and I'm sure everybody knows uh, plenty of people who uh, who have gone on the exchanges and, and bought uh, insurance, even though they don't have to now because there is no penalty. But uh, you know, even when there was a penalty, it wasn't um, the kind. That, first of all, it was kind of toothless. Um, when when Congress originally uh, passed the Affordable Care Act, um, they uh, they said the IRA is supposed to impose this penalty uh, if right if you don't have health insurance. The IRS, uh, but it, the IRS, right, um, and uh, and uh, you know the, the the amount wasn't that great. It, it kind of topped out at a low percentage of your income, but uh, probably just as importantly, um, the only thing the IRS could do to you if you didn't pay uh, the the penalty uh, would be to uh, you know keep that amount of money from uh, from your refund, right? Withhold some refund money. 
they don't, you know, the, the Congress specifically said in the, in the act, uh, the IRS is not supposed to be garnishing people's wages or, uh, you know, putting liens on their property, you know, the, the typical stuff that the IRS will do, um, you know, if you owe them money. Uh, they, they, so they were, the IRS was kind of defanged in this law. Uh, so, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons uh, that it was upheld in the first place. Uh, you know, in the very first ACA case in front of the Supreme Court, uh, Justice Roberts famously voted to uphold the law when it was five to four. Um, and his reasoning was, well, it's, it's, uh, it's called a penalty, but it's really just a tax because it's not that much <laughs> and it's going to raise money. So Congress has the power to impose taxes. So it's valid. That was his reasoning. Uh, that time, but uh, you know, he but at this time the court might say um, it's time to get rid of the individual mandate altogether uh, because uh, now you know it's been zeroed out. It doesn't look like it's a tax anymore. Uh, you know, so so Congress, uh, you know, if it's not exercising its taxing power, uh, it probably doesn't have the authority to enact an individual mandate to force people to do something they don't want to do. Brendan, um, you said weeks ago that there was something flawed about the case that the Supreme Court was going to hear. And and you somewhat prophetically uh, suggested that the Supreme Court might not overthrow ACA because it, 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 it was a flawed case. Was this the fatal flaw that you saw? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, that uh, if, if you're going to say the individual mandate is invalid... Um, I think there are a couple problems with that. One is, is the, this is the point that Justice Barrett made, which is you didn't repeal the individual mandate; you just zeroed it out, so it can be, it can be bumped back up. And the other is the severability; it's severable, right? It's uh, uh, the the rest of the law can survive without it. So th those are issues. A lot of legal, a lot of the legal commentary uh, yesterday, you know, on the blogs and in the media. Um, you know, and and uh, listservs. Uh, you know that that I read was you know the the the, the argument against the ACA in this case was quite weak. Um, and we were just wondering, you know, what's the Supreme Court going to do? How aggressive are they going to get? And I think, you know, you kind of opened the segment saying it was a surprise, and everybody is surprised. I think people were really taken aback uh, by Justice Roberts um, and Kavanaugh. And then the fact that even Alito and uh, Barrett were chiming in, um, it kind of signaled how weak uh, this argument is. Well, the Supreme Court is not known for telegraphing its punches. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and I think they kind of did in this case. Hey, Brendan, we have to uh, we have to take a break here, but I want to talk about presidential succession. That's um, actually. Uh, kind of playing out every day as, <laughs> as, as we speak. Um, but uh, can you stick around and we'll talk some more? Sure, sounds good. Great. My guest is uh, Brendan Beery, constitutional law professor. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. More with Brendan Beery straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Pearly Gate Rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residence, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, My guest this hour is constitutional law professor Brendan Beery. We're talking about uh, yesterday's uh, hearing uh, of oral arguments at the Supreme Court regarding the Affordable Care Act and more. Brendan, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, as always. Happy to be here. Thanks. Um. You know, we I guess we probably just started in talking about what happened yesterday and, and the reactions from some of the justices, but the uh, um, it, it took us a while to kind of lay out what the what the case was all about. People have been anticipating this uh, this case going before the Supreme Court um, regarding the Affordable Care Act. What um, what happens now? Are they done hearing oral arguments, or does that go on for several days? How, how does how does that work? Nope, uh, they're done. And uh, what happens is they conference uh, after oral argument. Um, at this point, uh, it's likely that either now or very soon, uh, they'll actually have a formal, uh, they'll know uh, what the vote is uh, in the case. And then what happens is the uh, the Chief Justice, if he's in the majority, and it sounds like he's going to be <laughs> in this case, um, then he assigns who is going to write the opinion. Uh, if uh, that, That's one of the perks of being Chief Justice. It's actually one of the only perks of being Chief Justice is you get to pick uh, who writes opinions when you're in the majority. Um, you know, he can, of course, assign it to himself if he wants to, uh, but we'll see what he does. And uh, then, then it circulates, and... People have an opportunity, you know, other justices have an opportunity to write concurring opinions or dissenting opinions, and they get into, you know, little fights back and forth. Um, and it'll be a few months before the decision actually issues, because that takes a while uh, to get the opinion drafted up, to exchange uh, drafts, right, so that they can respond to one another, um, and then they release the opinion uh, when that's ready. This is this is a little parenthetical, but now that there's a, a 6-3 on the court, and Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg is gone. She was always uh, uh, fairly prolific when it came to writing dissenting opinions. Right. Who's who's the voice for that side now? Uh, I think it's Sotomayor. Um, she uh, she has a pretty sharp pen, <laughs> uh, and uh, and she's she's you know was has been known to get into it uh, with you know with the other side and. She has a very powerful uh, writing style, very easy to understand, um, and she does not pull any punches. Uh, so I think people are going to be looking to her now uh, as the, the main voice um, uh, on that side. Um, the, the other two, um, you know, are Kagan and Breyer. Um, you know, p- the people need to keep an eye on uh, two, two interesting justices to watch, Thomas and Breyer. Uh, it was widely anticipated that if Trump had won, Thomas would retire. Um, that there was even talk that Alito uh, might uh, retire. Um, and Breyer, of course, is is uh, now 80 or, or over 80. Um, and so uh, I would look for him to announce his retirement very early in a Biden administration uh, to make sure that we don't run into this problem, you know, again, with Republicans in the Senate saying we can't seat a Democratic nominee, you know, um, uh, with with Mitch McConnell in charge, the, he'll probably move that goalpost. Right? It was uh, last time he said within the last year, right before an election. But you know, I, the, 
with Biden coming in, he'll probably change that to a three-year rule, right? If you don't appoint a new justice in your first year, we don't, we're not going to have a hearing. So, uh, so uh, I would, I'd ex- I would expect Breyer uh, to leave the court, uh, and then we'll see, you know, who who Biden um, nominates. He's in a Biden is in a bit of a jam here because uh, looks like Republicans are going to retain control of the Senate unless Democrats can win two runoffs in Georgia. Um, which, uh, from what I'm hearing, it's unlikely they'd win both. Um, and uh, that, that leaves Mitch McConnell as the majority leader. So uh, Biden is going to have to, you know, uh, pick a nominee uh, who can get past uh, Mitch McConnell. And so I don't think you're going to get, you know, a 40-something, um, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, far-left uh, nominee out of Joe Biden. Not that he would appoint somebody like that anyway, uh, but... Um, he's going to have to uh, get this past a Republican Senate. Um, you know, speaking of that, um, you, you use the phrase very casually, you know, when Biden comes in. Um, mm-hmm. And and that, you know, if you, if you go by the votes, if you go by the, the electoral college math, you know, it, it seems like a no-brainer, and yet... Uh, the sitting president isn't really ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. Is is there a constitutional implication to all of this, or is this just um, style running amok, or or well, tradition <clears throat> running amok? Yeah, it's you know it's it's funny because you you hear people in the media saying you know if if the president uh, starts misbehaving here. Uh, you know, we're going to cause a constitutional crisis. And in that sense, sure, I think, you know, I think when people talk about that, that they, they mean the written constitution and the unwritten constitution. And I, I use that term a lot, um, you know, uh, and in terms of the, the written uh, constitution, yeah, I, the, you know, the constitution flatly lays out that the president's term ends on, right, it, 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 it lays out how the electoral college works, Right when they meet, uh, the electors vote. Um, the uh, and then in early January, uh, the uh, the vote is counted up in a joint session of Congress, where the vice president uh, presides as president of the Senate. So Mike Pence uh, would be would actually. But this happened. This has happened before. Al Gore had to preside over his own loss. Uh, he he was the <laughs> vice president. Ouch. <laughs> he did. Yeah, I mean that's got to hurt, right? He said he, he was the one who announced the election of George W. Bush, right, officially uh, in, in the in the uh, in the chamber uh, in, in Congress, and um, so Mike Pence will have to do that. He will be presiding, uh, and he'll be the one who has to announce that he's lost <laughs> he's lost his own uh, job. Um, uh, and then, of course, the inauguration is, is January twentieth. So all that is set out. Um, and uh yeah it would be it would it would be something of a constitutional crisis in the sense that if the president is not going to you know, cooperate with that um but there's nothing the president can do about it right uh, and i think that's you know that, i think that's been lost on some people but i think a lot of other people are coming around to realizing uh you know it's not his decision uh you know whether he's going to remain in office um the, the constitution sets that out and then then there's the unwritten uh constitution right and that's that's the, the word you used is tradition. I mean, it's just, this is just not how it's done. Um, well, and, this, this uh, notion of um, peaceful transference of power, we hear right, that phrase right. a lot. Is that more manners than mandate? 
it is, um, it, it, well, in a sense, it's mandated, uh, but uh, it is, you know, the, that is probably the most remarkable um, feature of American political culture is the is the peaceful transition of power that that is the envy of uh, of much of the world uh and and it's never been you know presidents have not always been graceful uh for example the first president to lose a re-election bid was uh, john adams who lost to thomas jefferson and he was very upset um for the rest of their lives yeah they, they eventually started exchanging letters which was uh, very lucky for us because um those letters are a very rich source of American history, uh, but yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, they they were. There was a very bitter election. Uh, Adams was very upset uh, by his loss. Um, he was the first president to live in the White House. Uh, Washington designed it and picked the spot for it, but he he wasn't the president when when it was finished. So Adams, uh, uh, instead of welcoming Jefferson to the White House, um, he just left. <laughs> He got in a wagon, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> under the cover of darkness, as the history goes, he just just left Washington. So it's not like he greeted Jefferson and attended his inauguration and all the things we expect now. Um, but over our history, um, that has come to be expected, uh, right? That uh, an outgoing president, uh, first of all, concedes. And this, you know, I was listening to some media this morning. I mean, by historical standards, this is not... It's actually not a close election. I mean, it was very close in some of the states, right? I mean, sure. Uh, but when you look at the popular vote, there's still voting the counts in a couple, right? Yes, and um, but but in every state, um, you know, I was checking the numbers this morning. You know, one of the things people want to keep uh, keep in mind is with this recount issue is how few votes typically change in an American uh, state. Uh, recount. Um, it's usually dozens or maybe hundreds. Uh, the the most ever was a couple thousand. Um, and you know, you know, Biden leads right now, and the, the states where he's leading, uh, you know, uh, all of them are over twelve thousand, uh, and usually much more than that. You know, Michigan, for example, is what one one hundred forty seven thousand votes. Uh, Pennsylvania is forty five thousand votes. Uh, so. The likelihood that a that a recount is going to change these numbers is uh, it's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, Hillary Clinton was in almost exactly the same situation that Donald Trump uh, is in now. She went she had lost these three states: Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, by you know uh, a combined seventy something thousand votes, um, and she didn't even bother asking for a recount because <laughs> uh, it's just not going to happen. She conceded the election, uh, so. So we've got margins in states that add up to 306 uh, electoral votes, right, that are outside um, of any reasonable possibility of a recount changing, uh, changing the outcome. Uh, you know, a 5 million vote cushion in the popular vote nationally, uh, you know, again, 306 electoral votes uh, when you only need 270. So under these circumstances, it would have been expected. But, you know, we live in an age when nothing, <laughs> we should expect nothing normal to happen. But <laughs> under normal circumstances, right, there, there would have been a concession uh, on Saturday, um, right, when, the, when it was called by the uh, networks. Uh, but it looks like it's just not going to happen. The president has sort of disappeared. We, we still get his tweets, <clears throat> but he has not been seen in public for, I think it was, what, six days now? Um, 
except for you know when when the media catches him going to his golf course um but he's not made any appearances where he's i you know said anything uh so so nobody knows what he's thinking yeah um, this is except it, it, through his twitter feed it's it, it's a strange um it, it, it's a strange situation, and of course, um, Hillary Clinton would have been much better advised to um, to do a recount because she was actually ahead in the popular vote, mm-hmm. and so right. there there would have been a lot of emotion behind that, saying, "Hey, I won this election, except for the electoral math. We got to see if we can move a state or or something." Right, and. Right. Um, and and yet as you pointed out she didn't but the one of the things that i've i've seen uh uh commented on on social media and and sort of retweeted and and getting some legs is the media doesn't get to pick the president yet the media has been picking the president the president ever since there was a media um right. Right. You know, by by just simply announcing, you know, it's it's no longer too close to call. Mm. You know, this is who is going to win when the official, right. you know, votes are when the votes are certified by the states and then, you know, ratified by Congress. And, and when all of that dust settles, this is who it's going to be. And we've always just gone with that. The person who lost right. the election concedes. The person who wins starts building a transition team. And all of that has been uh, thrown into disarray by, um, essentially, President Trump's ego. Right. That's right. And, uh, you know, just despite uh, what the president keeps telling people, the reality is that um, in the United States, we are very, very good at counting votes. And there is very little fraud. Um, now, it hasn't always been that way, right? Uh, you know, uh, there there have been times in our history where uh, there was there was widespread fraud, but that is not part of our modern history. Uh, and um, the media has gotten very very good. You know, I always uh, kid since Paul. Two thousand. I always kid Paul Rosicki from Armchair Politics on my show. Uh, because he's from Illinois, not far from, uh, in fact, uh, yeah. not far from Chicago, and I and I always uh, <laughs> and I always joke that uh, Paul's got a, a box of Dewey ballots in the trunk of his car. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, you, you were thinking exactly what I was thinking when I said it hasn't always been this way. Right, uh, right. I was thinking Chicago exactly, and uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, but you know, uh, things are so transparent now. Um, you know, I'm sure people notice that, you know, um, uh, Philadelphia, officials in Philadelphia knew that they were going to get called out, right? Uh, and so they live streamed. Um, you could actually watch on, on your uh, well, laptop. And, you could and watch them counting votes. The process has, has always been structured in such a way that, you know, at, at every station where votes are being handled and counted, mm-hmm. there's a Republican, a Democrat, and an Independent. Right. That may not right. be true in every state, but it was certainly true in the ones, you know, that that were um, being followed uh, by by the networks, and 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 then it just seems odd to me that that um, high-ranking Republicans buying into the president's narrative that somehow this this election was stolen 
mm-hmm. are saying, well, we didn't get to observe. And, right. you know, I'm saying, now, wait a minute. Are you not trusting those Republicans? Were they not the right Republicans in the room? Um, right. You know, how, how does that how does that figure that it wasn't transparent and, and that uh, both sides didn't get a chance to um, be part of, of securing the integrity of the counts. Right, right. And one of the claims, in fact, that they made in Michigan uh, was that, uh, they, that this is the Trump campaign, uh, says they, they should have been allowed to see um, video of people depositing their their ballots in drop boxes under Michigan law. Uh, <laughs> if a drop box is installed after, after the statute was passed, right? So it was it was uh, you know future looking, but it says okay, all the drop boxes from now on have to be surveilled. Um, and the reason for that was to, to stop people from destroying the the right, destroying them or removing them or uh, just just know, simply uh, torching the the drop box. Yeah, that's right. not that's out of the sorry. question in Flint or Detroit. <laughs> right, uh, that's right. <laughs> but Republicans said, you know, we want they wanted to see the video of that. Of course, you know, uh, officials in Michigan said no. Uh, this is, the surveillance is not to watch people vote; it's to make sure, for law enforcement purposes, that nothing happens to the drop boxes. So we're not going to let you see uh, people voting. That's that's not what this is for. Uh, and they went to court. Uh, and so, you know, and sued based on that. So that, that's the kind of claim that they're making, right? Well, they didn't let us watch people vote in the drop boxes. Therefore, this is a fraud. Um, you know, and, the, and one of the things that they seem not to understand is that judges tailor the remedy to the alleged offense. I mean, e- even if a judge was to agree, uh, right? That, okay, yeah, you know, what officials in Michigan should have shown you the video. Um, well, then the, the remedy is not going to be throwing out tens of thousands of votes or, or, or throwing out the entire election, which is what they're asking for. The remedy would be, here's the video, right? Okay, look at the video if you want to see the video. Uh, so that, that's another problem here is that, um, you know, p- people who are still sticking to this idea that the results are going to be overturned by courts, ha- again, have got to understand that no judge is going to throw out um, an election for some kind of procedural uh, right uh, uh, hiccup um, along the way, that's just not that's not how uh, courts work. Was it and 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 wasn't that kind of an underlying message from uh, Chief Justice Roberts yesterday? Right. Yes. That the the, the process when he said and, and we're not going to do your job for you, <laughs> wasn't there kind of a a nod right. to you know. We're not going to decide this election. The votes have yes. been counted. It, it's there's a procedure for that, and it's been followed. Right. Yep. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah. That that courts are not there to get uh, to undo the democratic process, and uh, so <clears throat> you know, and, and and as far as the the media goes, um, and and their and their calling of of elections. Um, that, you know, the, they made a big mistake. I'm sure you remember in, in the 2000 election, they actually called Florida for Gore. Uh, and then then they had to come back and say, wait a minute, we've made a mistake. It's too close to call. Um, well, and, and, that, and then, that caused that caused Gore to uh, right. declare victory. And, right. he, and he had to walk that back. 
That's right. Um, yeah, that went back and forth, right? Gore, right. First he said he won. Then he called Bush to concede. Then he called Bush back when Bush was in his <laughs> had to undo on his the concession. <laughs> right. Yeah. Un- yes. He unconceded. <laughs> so but he receded. Then, you know, they, yeah, that's right. Then that they had to reconcede. That's right. Uh, but um, but they learned their lesson. You know, the, the networks now they have these statisticians who they won't call a race until they reach ninety nine point five percent. You know, uh, mathematical certainty. Uh, so it's not like we don't know what's happened here. Um, and uh, and to circle back to, you know, to the beginning of this conversation, we know why it looks like um, the president is, well, I don't know if he's embarrassed um, or if it's just not in his uh, makeup, you know, to ever admit that he's lost. Um, but now it's, it sounds like people are trying to find ways to sort of cajole him, uh, right, uh, See, I think, I think they're making again. a mistake by not saying, you know, look, you got the second most votes of right. any candidate for president ever, and mm-hmm. you can start working on your library now. Right, right, right. And, uh, and, and of course, you know, they're floating the idea that he could, he'll be the next Grover Cleveland, uh, who was the only president to have non-consecutive terms. Uh, right, he can, so, uh, so uh, Trump, you know, can run again in 2024, still have his rallies um it's but but it's uh, to, to my eye this is rather unseemly um to have it, it, it's like a grown-up you know grown-ups trying to deal with uh a youngster you know i mean what what can we do to get this person to uh you know what, what do, you do, do you use reverse psychology or what, what are we going to do uh to get this person to behave in a way um that's simply expected of well other, yeah of january <laughs> january 20th there are going to be some moving right. vans and about 30 guys <laughs> that go right. into the white house right. you know at at eight o'clock in the morning and start hauling his stuff out right and right. and bringing in uh joe biden's stuff and right. it's you know that's 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 going to be uh a weird inauguration day, to be sure, if uh, mm-hmm. the Capitol Police or the Secret Service have to, um, you know, <laughs> physically escort the uh, former president out of the building. <laughs> it's uh, as, uh, Michael Cohen, who is, of course, uh, uh, Donald Trump's uh, former attorney. Um, <laughs> and fixer. And, has written the, and fixer, yes. <laughs> And uh, who's who's certainly turned on Donald Trump, but he was he was uh, uh, on uh, in a couple of shows last night talking about what he thinks, and he he thinks that uh, at some point Trump's going to get an airplane and fly to Mar-a-Lago and just never come back to Washington. Uh, so you know he'll, he'll just skip the inauguration um, and uh, he'll pull and a John just, Adams, you know, stay away. That's yes, that's right. Exactly right. Hey, Brendan, I have to take another break here. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? I want to talk about the, you know, structurally what happens next and the timeline leading up to inauguration day on the twentieth. Sure, sounds good. All right, my guest is Brendan Beery, constitutional law professor from uh, Western Michigan Cooley Lake in Tampa, uh, the uh, law school down there, and. We're going to have more after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. 
Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll Hi, be right back. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long format interviews with New York Times bestselling author photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed. 
a magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hey this is first ward city councilman eric mays and you're listening to the tom sumner program Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's Wednesday, so Armchair Politics is coming up at the top of the hour with uh, Bobby Clayton Walton, political operative and elector for the 2020 uh, uh, presidential election. We'll be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, on the left and right, respectively. And um, But this hour... I'm joined by uh, constitutional law professor Brendan Beery, and we've been talking about uh, the um, oral arguments from the uh, case involving the Affordable (coughs) Care Act at the Supreme Court yesterday. And uh, also, we've been talking about presidential succession. Um, Brendan, uh, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Thank you. Happy to be here. I wanted to pick up on our, our talk about presidential uh, succession because there are some things that are mandated certain things that that happen <clears throat> um, obviously uh, the states uh, as as they've concluded their their counting will uh, go through a certification process mm. um, which may or may not get hung up by by legal challenges but by and large uh, the routine is that they certify the results and then those results are sent to Congress, or is does it go to the Electoral College first? No, it goes to uh, well, it goes to a number of officials. Actually, specified officials: it's the the Speaker of the House, the President pro tem of the Senate, the Vice President. Um, right, the, those all get the certification and appointment of electors. Um, and uh, the Electoral College meets, <coughs> excuse me, December fourteenth. Um, I'm not sure what they'll, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, in our current circumstances, they'll all meet, uh, you know, remotely, um, uh, and, uh, in their own states and, and vote. Um, then they send, uh, the, the official vote to the same officials, um, right. And that, and that's what's unveiled in, uh, early January, uh, in a, in a joint session of Congress. Um, you know, in, in the meantime, <clears throat> there are some other big issues uh, in play uh, in, involving the transition. Um, you know, it's um, we've we've had some uh, episodes in our history where transitions didn't go smoothly, and so Congress enacted a law uh, about presidential transitions uh, that uh, requires an, a federal office called GSA, the the Government Services uh, Administration. Um, uh, is, is, and, and the head of that right now is a political appointee, um, who is, uh, who is, uh, not, <laughs> who's refusing to budge, but that office is supposed to ascertain the apparent winner of a presidential election. That's the language in the statute. It's not to declare a winner. Uh, it's not to certify a winner. It's not to, uh, right, predict with 100% certainty, uh, who's already won the electoral college, right? It's, uh, the law says that you are supposed to ascertain the apparent winner of the election, which, of course, is obviously right now Joe Biden, um, and then uh, make available to that person uh, certain funds and certain office space and uh, and certain information, right, especially classified information, um, 
to make sure that the incoming administration uh, is ready to ready to hit the ground running. Um, so uh, when that's now the, the thing that lawyers are mostly watching is what's going to happen because uh, Emily Murphy, her name is, uh, is, is holding this up. Um, Joe Biden, as of yesterday, was saying he doesn't see any need for litigation. But he, you know, Joe Biden is, is, is really trying to soothe uh, right, some nerves uh, and calm people down. So he doesn't want to do, uh, you know, get involved in any kind of a lawsuit right now. He thinks that would just blow things up. But at some point, we're going to need an answer about this. Um, <clears throat> and um, for anybody who's really feeling in a kind of a law nerd type of mood uh, this morning, um, if, if Democrats do decide they're going to take this to court, they would ask for something called a writ of mandamus, um, which is an order directed to a government official to do something that they're clearly required to do under the law and that they're refusing to do. Um, so, uh, so I would look for that at some point in the next few weeks, probably, um, if this person is still, uh, right, if, if Donald Trump is still refusing to concede and uh, directing his entire entire government, uh, you know, to uh, you know to to <laughs> put a stop uh, to any kind of smooth uh, transition. So, um, you know, the, and the only other thing we look for is uh, who is he, who is Joe Biden going to appoint um, as Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, right? All these cabinet positions, um, typically, uh, a president on day one, right, on January twentieth. We'll have certain, you know, any anywhere between I don't know three, four, five, six cabinet, uh, uh, the key ones, right? State, defense, homeland security. Uh, uh, we'll have those filled. Uh, Chief of the staff. Senate would vote to approve those. Chief, right? And for, for White House, <clears throat> excuse me, for White House staff, um, Joe Biden will not need Senate approval, um, but for department heads, he will. Sure. Um, and and the Senate can't uh, confirm uh, any of those until January twentieth because they. Right, the Constitution says that the Senate has to confirm the president's appointees, and they don't become the president's appointees until noon uh, on January 20th. Um, but usually, by by then, they've done, they've already had their hearings, right, on on Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, people like that, and so they they're in a position to confirm those people on the first day of a new administration. Uh, so that's the other big thing we're going to be looking for uh, is number one, who is Joe Biden going to pick? Uh, he's already said he's going to try to pick people that will not be a problem for Mitch McConnell. Uh, and that brings us to the second thing we're looking for is how is the Senate going to conduct itself? Um, in particular, see, that this is why this is, not, this is not altogether benign, right, what's going on with Donald Trump. Um, if, if he is still refusing to concede, does that mean that Mitch McConnell won't hold hearings, um, right, to confirm uh, uh, any of these uh, cabinet appointments? Uh, I think the you know people are are guessing. There's only so long uh, McConnell will go along with this, but uh, we'll find out. What's the next big thing for uh, the Supreme Court? Um, the, the next the, the next big thing is not really on the docket yet. <laughs> uh, there are now. Well, actually, let me let me revise that. Uh, the next big thing is what what are they going to decide? There's a case coming out of Pennsylvania where Republicans have challenged the late, uh, the, the votes that came in after Election Day, uh, saying those shouldn't count, uh, based on kind of a technical legal uh, argument they're making. Um, I want to see what the Supreme Court's going to do. They've gone straight to the Supreme Court with that. Um, but the, uh, 
the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania just yesterday announced that there were 10,000, uh, approximately 10,000 votes that came in after election statewide that came in after the election. And again, if those and are thrown I, out, that won't be enough to turn it. There you go. There you go. Since since there's a 45,000 vote uh, uh, right spread right now, uh, that that wouldn't. So I'm looking for the Supreme Court to say that this is not redressable is the, is the legal term. There's nothing we can we can't give you the result you want. So we're not even going to bother hearing the case. Um, but we're all looking to see what the court does. What Amy uh, Coney Barrett does is going to be fascinating. Uh, is she going to participate in, in a decision or is she going to recuse herself? Um, you know, I, I, we'll see about that. But after that, the big issue everybody's the big issues everybody will be looking for would be the social right the hot button issues especially abortion um because uh you know with with the appointment uh, and seating of uh, amy coney barrett that is the issue that where, where we've had the most profound uh shift ideologically on the court from ginsburg to barrett uh and so uh so we'll be looking for that and um in, in my opinion one of the, and this is a little bit far off, you know, but, but in terms of what we're really looking at the Supreme Court, how are they going to uh, handle Congress's power to, because you, you know that there's going to be new proposed legislation under a new administration that's going to be uh, infrastructure, e economy, dealing with the pandemic, and the question then is going to be how, how does a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court, how do they view federal power to address those issues? Well, Brendan, we have to end it there, but as always, it's a pleasure talking with you, and uh, I look forward to our next chat. Sounds good. Something will happen soon. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Happy to be here. All right. Take care. That was Brendan Beery. He is the uh, a constitutional law professor at the uh, Western Michigan uh, Cooley Law School in uh, Tampa, and our regular go-to guy on things uh, involving the Supreme Court. Um, armchair politics coming up in just a few minutes. Hear ye! Hear ye! The court's in session. The court's in session now. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Here come the
pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 